Luke chapter 15, listen to the word of the Lord. Tax collectors and other notorious sinners often came to listen to Jesus teach. Tax collectors and other notorious sinners often came to listen to Jesus teach. This made the Pharisees and teachers of religious law complain that he was associating with such sinful people, even eating with them. So Jesus told them this story, if a man has a hundred sheep and one of them gets lost, what will he do? Won't he leave the 99 others in the wilderness to go search for the one that is lost until he finds it? And when he's found it, he'll joyfully carry it home on his shoulders. And when he arrives, he'll call together his friends and neighbors saying, rejoice with me, I found my lost sheep. In the same way, there is more joy in heaven over one lost sinner who repents and returns to God than over 99 others who are righteous and haven't strayed away. Or suppose a woman has 10 silver coins and loses one. Won't she light a lamp and sweep the entire house and search carefully until she finds it? And when she finds it, she will call in her friends and neighbors and say, rejoice with me. I found my lost coin. In the same way, there is joy in the presence of God's angels when even one sinner repents. To illustrate the point further, Jesus told them this story. A man had two sons. The younger son told his father, I want my share of your estate now before you die. So his father agreed to divide his wealth between his sons. A few days later, this younger son packed all his belongings and moved to a distant land, and there he wasted all his money in wild living. About the time his money ran out, a great famine swept over the land, and he began to starve. He persuaded a local farmer to hire him, and the man sent him into his fields to feed the pigs." The young man became so hungry that even the pods he was feeding the pigs looked good to him, but no one gave him anything. But when he finally came to his senses, he said to himself, at home, even the hired servants have food enough to spare, and here I am, dying of hunger. I will go home to my father and say, Father, I've sinned against both heaven and you. I am no longer worthy of being called your son. Please take me on as a hired servant. So he returned home to his father, and while he was still a long way off, his father saw him coming, filled with love and compassion. He ran to his son, embraced him, and kissed him. His son said to him, Father, I've sinned against both heaven and you. I am no longer worthy of being called your son. But his father said to the servants, Quick! Bring the finest robe in the house and put it on him. Get a ring for his finger and sandals for his feet and kill the calf that we've been fattening. We must celebrate with a feast. For this son of mine was dead and now has returned to life. He was lost, but now he is found. So the party began. Ooh, gives me chills. Meanwhile, the older son was in the fields working. Of course he was. When he returned home, he heard music and dancing in the house, and he asked one of the servants what was going on. Your brother's back, he was told, and your father's killed a fattened calf, and we're celebrating because of his safe return. 
The older brother became angry, and he would not go in. So his father came out and begged him, but he replied, all these years I've slaved for you and never once refused to do a single thing you told me, and in all that time you never gave me even a young goat for a feast with my friends. Yet when this son of yours comes back after squandering your money on prostitutes, you celebrate by killing the fattened calf? And his father said to him, look, dear son, you have always stayed by me and everything I have is yours. We had to celebrate this happy day for your brother was dead and has come back to life. He was lost, but now he is found. This is the word of the Lord. There are two orphan-spirited sons and an incredible father in this story. The story is really about the father. The parable is Jesus' answer, as we just saw, to the question, why are you doing this? And he answers why he's doing this by saying, because this is what God is like. The first verse of Luke 15 starts by saying, notorious sinners often gathered to Jesus to listen to what? he had to say. They didn't come for a handout. They actually wanted to hear what made him tick. That verse has been so full for me. I can't get past verse 15, 1, or chapter 15, verse 1. The tax collectors and sinners were drawn to Jesus, and they sought him out to sit at his feet and hear what he had to say. And religious people were just offended. That's a month of sermons in one or maybe those two verses. Jesus never presents God as formal father. He consistently presents God as intimate father. And the gospel, as Paul preaches it, it climaxes in Abba. The thing that happens in our hearts when Jesus really comes home to root, when, he really, when we really understand the first steps of the gospel is, we begin to relate to God as daddy, not sir. He's not the father in the sound of music. Now his kids run and jump into his lap and he's happy about it. So this story is a story about two sons that don't see God that way and how one of them gets free and begins to see him clearly and enters the party of love. And the other one, well, we don't find out what happens because Jesus leaves the story unfinished because the people listening to the story are the older brother. And Jesus doesn't finish because we, the listeners, the readers, are the ones who get to decide what the older brother does next because we're the older brother. Or maybe we're the younger brother, but we get to decide which brother we are. 
The thing about sonship is it comes with covenant rights, but it comes with covenant intimacy. We get a ring on our finger, we get a robe, we get sandals on our feet, covenant rights, but we get access to the Father, covenant intimacy. And the thing is, you can be in the Father's house all those years like the older brother and not enter the party ever once. You can be in the Father's house all that time but have an orphan spirit. And so this sermon I've titled Learning to Live as Abba's Child. Learning to move from the slave, the fearful spirit of slavery or mere servants in the household. Learning to live from that, away from that, and grow into who we really are. That we've been made the children of God. We can be free but not free. The sons in the story both have slave-mindedness, just like once the Israelites are freed from slavery, they still live in freedom as slaves. Because as we've often said, it's easier to free the Israelites from slavery than to take the slavery out of the Israelites. 400 years of living in despair, learning to settle for scraps, learning to fight for everything you have, learning that everything depends on you and that there are limited resources, learning to compete with others and learning that your place is determined by your effort in getting ahead. 400 years of culture and practice of slavery did not immediately just come off of the Israelites and lean, lean. they didn't just immediately lean into a place of trust and affection and inheritance and grace that the God who freed them and liberated them has affection for them and will provide and protect them, provide for and protect them. It didn't come naturally. Life has tutored them in a very different mindset, and life has tutored you and I in a very different mindset than the mindset that Jesus lived with and that mindset that the Spirit of God comes to establish in us. So the question is, are we willing to let God bring us to the place where we become what we are? Are we willing to see the connections of where we're still slave-minded and let the Holy Spirit apply the fruit of Jesus' cross and resurrection to our life and let him give us the upgrades that will transform us so deeply from the root that we bear the fruit of looking like Jesus and loving like Jesus and seeing like Jesus. In other words, are we willing to let the Lord transform us so that we look like the father in this story? So the question is, where do I still need upgrades? Where am I still slave-minded? Where am I still an orphan at heart? even though I might live in the home. Maybe we trust God with the basics, like food and clothing, but I struggle to trust that he wants to satisfy the deep longings of my heart. John Piper said, sin is what we do when our hearts aren't satisfied in God. Sin is what we do when our hearts aren't satisfied in God. Maybe I cope with life through overwork, through overeating, through adultery or lust or binge scrolling Facebook or binge watching Netflix or YouTube. Maybe I compulsively clean when I feel out of control. And maybe growth as Abba's child would look like at first just recognizing what I'm doing and realizing that there's something I'm trying to satisfy myself that I'm meant to satisfy in God. 
When orphan-hearted people sin, they wallow in guilt and shame saying, I'm terrible, I'm unworthy. Let me make it up to you and let me live at a distance until I have made it up to you. But when we live as Abba's child and realize we've sinned, we run quickly to the Father and say, help, clean me up, give me a right heart, renew my spirit. I don't even understand why I did that, but you do. We run to the Father quickly instead of stay at a distance and try to fix ourselves. When slave-minded believers experience the sorrow over sin, it's the kind of sorrow that becomes destructive. But when Abba's child experiences sorrow over sin, it's the godly sorrow that scripture says brings life. When orphan-minded believers attempt to repent, there's a lot of self-diagnosis that occurs. When Abba's children repent, there's a lot of surrender and allowing the Holy Spirit to guide the process of surgery. Slave-minded repentance is filled with overtones of punishment and loss and unworthiness and fear. Sonship repentance is able to simply own my wrong choices while embracing full restoration and right fellowship with God quickly, knowing that he wants me back in right fellowship a million times more than I want to be back. Slave-minded repentance feels like we're earning our way back in, but adoption-minded repentance feels like God is drawing us home with cords of loving kindness. Both are sorry that they've sinned. Both may have tears of sorrow, but one is actually fueled by hope and mercy, and one isn't. And it really all comes down to this real simple distinction is that orphans have to earn their place in the family, but sons inherit their place. They never can earn it or add to it, and they cannot diminish from it. And an orphan mindset predisposes us to be about earning, and along with earning comes a cluster of associated behaviors Along with earning comes a cluster of associated behaviors, behaviors like comparing, judging, and resenting. If you look at the story and you look at the older brother, you can see what I'm talking about. So the question for us is, am I looking down on others for not seeing what I see and not doing what I do? The book of James has some really hardcore words to say about those who judge their brother. None of it is positive. But meanwhile, look at the father. Abba, in the story, embraces both the younger brother and the older brother. He embraces the one who smells like pigs and the one whose attitude stinks even worse. Or if you want to be clever, Abba offers his love to the pig stinker and to the party pooper. And the party pooper is by far the worst sinner in the story. Yes. By far the worst sinner. But Abba leaves the party to plead with him to come inside because God is not self-righteous in dealing with the self-righteous. He's not a Pharisee in how he treats Pharisees. He's not hard-hearted toward the hard-hearted. He's no projection of us and he's no reflection of us. And I have come to the conclusion that the way to learn to live as Abba's child is not to decide that I'm going to make myself live that way. 
It's not another form of self-improvement. Learning to live as Abba's child is the byproduct of one simple thing, and that is learning to see Abba clearly. And the word is receive. Older brothers, orphan-spirited people really struggle to receive affection from others, affirmation from others, love from others, unless they've earned it. We can have as much of God's love as we're willing to receive. And the only limit to how far we're going to go in life is the limit we set on how much of God's love we are willing to receive in this life. The only limit to how much fruit we're going to bear in this life for God is the limit we set on how much fruit we're willing to bear by receiving God's love in this life. We can have all the love God has for us or ever will give us in eternity now. We can have it now. We can receive it now. We can walk in his affection, full affection now. We can walk in his full acceptance and full cleansing and full covenant. I'm for you and not against you. I'm with you. I'm here to bless you. I'm here to make you. I'm conforming you to the image of Jesus. Every trial I'm redeeming to make you stronger, wiser, sharper, and smarter. And you cannot get me to stop loving you. My sheep hear my voice. No one can steal them out of my hands. I will complete the good work I started in you, and it's all yours today. I'm never going to love you more than I do right now, and I'm never going to love you yet less. And we put a cap on that. We put a cap. An orphan-spirited person puts a low cap on how much love they're willing to receive from the Father, how much affirmation and acceptance they're willing to receive from the Father. Jesus says, freely you've received, freely give. There's some connection between what we're able to give away and what we're able to receive. How do you give away what you've never received? You can do it religiously by saying the words, but it won't be the reality dispensing. You can offer people forgiveness you yourself don't taste of. You can offer people a place in the kingdom you yourself do not enjoy but it won't have the fragrance of authenticity and authority on it. The cap. I'm just wondering how many of us still stuck in slave-mindedness have set a cap so low on how much of God's love we're able to receive for unexamined and unconscious reasons. The cap itself is even invisible to us, but it's there and keeping us starved for what's already ours. Again, sin is what happens when you aren't satisfied in God. Most of us have a very low love acceptance threshold, and we're uncomfortable receiving affection, or at least I should say I am. I flinch at your affirmation equally as much as I flinch at your criticisms. I don't know if you're the same way. Most of us are inches deep in God's love, inches deep, like a puddle. Well, you can water ski on a puddle or you can water ski on the ocean, but you can only deep sea dive in the ocean. And we've been invited to do some serious deep sea diving in the things of the Lord. But most of us are still only inches deep into this thing. I picture the angels trying to figure this out. There's the angels going, why does he like these pink mammals so much? Well, some of them are more colorful than pink, but... Some of us sunburn rather easily. 
Why does he love these screwed up little human mammals so much? I can just see the angels perplexing and puzzling. For a couple thousand years, they've just been looking at us going, I don't get it. They're really dumb. And, and I just kind of see God saying, you wouldn't understand how a father feels about his children. Charles Wesley said, in vain the firstborn seraph tries to plumb the depths of love divine. He's trying to sound the depths. He's try- I'm going to need more rope. We still haven't found the bottom. Well, heaven's all out of rope, buddy. I don't understand. The Apostle John claims this is a fact. 1 John 3, 1, Behold what manner of love the Father has given to us that we should be called the children of God, and that is what we are. It's not a name. It's not a fiction. Some of us have been taught that it's a legal fiction. God chooses to relate to us as other than we are. And John says, what? He doesn't call you his children because he's just like putting on horse blinders. He calls you his children because that is what he has made you. It is what you have become. But I don't know if you've noticed this. It's really difficult for people to stop being the younger brother without becoming the older brother. I keep licking this to try to get my page to turn. In other words, having entered into the party, it is easy to leave the party behind, take on an earning conditional performance mindset, and then, as a result, become the unhappy, resentful, hardworking, judgmental jerk. Our words reveal us in this respect. Last week I said that whenever in the book of Acts someone is filled with the Holy Spirit, their mouth can't can't hold it in. Their mouth bursts forth in words. And it's always, always good things about God. When you're filled with the Spirit, your mouth moves with good things about God. So if your mouth moves with bad things about people, I promise you it's not the Spirit of God that you are filled with, but some other thing. Orphan-spirited hearts become judges because we have not remained in our own party. We might give the doctrine of the party lip service, but our hearts remain miserable and therefore looking for someone to blame for that misery. Also, our influence reveals us, how we influence those around us, because adoption-minded believers' words draw people into the party. An adoption-hearted Abba's child person, the influence, the, the impact they have on those around them is everyone's eyes look up and we begin to delight in and enjoy and see the manifold beauties of God. That's the influence Abba's child has without trying to have that influence. It just happens. But an orphan-minded believer will draw others out of the party and into their offense, into their grief, into their anger, into their accusations. Orphans pull people out of the party to share in their complaining. And the father leaves the party to plead 
with the older brother. Not to validate him, not to placate him, not to enable him, but to rebut him and to plead with him to change his heart. It's really hard to spend much time with the older brother and not have it infect you with self-righteousness, negativity, and complaints. In terms of correction, when you bring correction to someone, Abba's child sees correction as a steering wheel meant to guide us to fuller life, while an orphan-minded person sees correction as a violation of freedom. How dare you? In giving correction, Abba's child is gentle and low stress and has no need to control. It's as much a learning conversation as anything else. When an orphan-spirited person is involved in correction, whether they're the one giving the correction or receiving the correction, stress and fear dominate the tone of the engagement. Additionally, orphan spirits can dish out criticisms constantly without handling the slightest one taken. In terms of forgiveness, orphan-minded folk lack the gospel resources to forgive quickly and fully. And when we're in an orphan mindset, we hold on to those things that hurt us so bad for years. But when we let the spirit of grace take root and walk as Abba's child, those very things become the opportunity to get an upgrade in our experience of God's love. We come out the other side even closer to God's love than before. Abba's children bless and don't curse, and they do it from the heart. When you cut them open, if you, you wouldn't find a rule there that says, I shouldn't speak like this because I'm supposed to forgive. No, what you find there is authentic forgiveness from the motive of love. They bless those who slander them from the heart, not because they should. And as a result, Abba's child is not weighed down by the burdens they would have carried if they hadn't forgiven. Our response to trials reveals what spirit we're in too. When God puts people in the school of promise, there's always a process before there's a payoff. And the process tests the heart, but it also forms the heart. It becomes a potter's wheel to those who allow it, but it becomes nothing more than one more element of the sad story of all that has gone wrong to those who don't. Orphan hearts lament that this should have never happened, but Abba's child walks through the same exact wilderness, and sometimes they might look similar outwardly, they both might be weeping, But Abba's child comes out with a song of God's faithfulness. Romans 8, 15, you've not received a spirit that makes you fearful slaves. Instead, you received God's spirit when he adopted you as his own children. And now we call him Abba, Father. I took a list by Jack and Tricia Frost. Jack's in heaven now took a list by Jack and Tricia Frost comparing and contrasting orphan spirit and, and what they call um, um, adoption-mindedness, you know. Same kind of a thing I'm dealing with here. And I've modified it. So this is my spin, but I based it off their topics. How we see God. Orphan-spirited believers see God as a judge primarily, a master primarily, a lawgiver primarily. Abba's children see him as father Helper, friend, and love primarily. In terms of help, orphan-spirited folk are really embarrassed to ask for help. 
Abba's children acknowledge their need easily and receive help easily. In terms of goals, orphan-spirited believers love to be right, and they love to learn what's right, and they are concerned about the truth. We've got to find the truth and do it the right way. Abba's children, they want to become love. What good is it to be right and miss love? In terms of peace, Abba's children have peace whenever they rest in God's love, whenever they rest in God's care and concern for them. But orphan-spirited children have peace once they've done well enough to give themselves permission to feel peace. In terms of approval, orphan-spirited believers seek approval from their peers in order to know they're okay, but Abba's children seek approval from God, and they're okay whether their peers approve of them or disapprove of them. In terms of service, orphan-spirited believers serve in order to prove themselves. Abba's children serve out of gratitude. In terms of prayer and Bible and worship, orphans do it out of duty. I should do it. I ought to do it. It's my responsibility to do it. Abba's children do it out of joy and delight, desire, and the adventure of knowing God more. In terms of holiness, orphan-spirited believers ought to be holy. Abba's children want to be holy. In terms of their view of themselves, orphan-spirited believers, even the idea of loving yourself sounds unhealthy and suspect and weird to them. But to Abba's children, duh, I like me and I like you. And it doesn't matter if you like me back. You can't stop me from liking you. God taught me to see things this way. In terms of sanctuary in life, orphan-spirited folk have various addictions that they use to find sanctuary. Busyness, religious activity, workaholism, compulsive behavior, escapism. But Abba's children find sanctuary in God's presence. God's presence is a place of rest, comfort, and peace where I can go and I can access whenever I need to. In terms of other people, orphan-spirited believers view other people as a threat, and I'm in competition with them. I'm in competition with their gifts. I'm in competition with their accomplishments. I'm in competition with... If you tell me about your experience, I'm immediately intimidated by it. What if you've experienced something I haven't experienced? That means you're valid and I'm not. So other people's gifts, accomplishments, experiences, and successes are a threat to me if I'm orphan-spirited. But to Abba's children, we feel that, and I say we, meaning all of us, well, okay. When, when we're in touch with that Abba's child experience, we feel that other people's gifts, accomplishments, and experiences, and successes are ours. And they're to our benefit. In terms of other people's flaws, orphan mindsets either accuse, expose, or talk about rather than talk to. See how I can say this the right way. In terms of other people's flaws, an orphan-spirited person will accuse, expose, and talk about rather than talk to. But when we live as Abba's child, We restore, we cover, we talk to, not about people. 
in terms of views of authority. Orphan-spirited believers view authority with distrust. See, when I say orphan-spirited believers, I almost want to stop and I want to back up and say, each of us can flip into this mindset at any time if we're not in a healthy place. So it's not as simple as like sorting people into bins because we sort ourselves temporarily into either bin if we're listening to the spirit or our flesh. Do you see what I'm saying? Does that help? In terms of authority, when we're orphan-spirited, we view authority with distrust. We see them as the cause of pain. We blame them for whatever goes wrong at, at work or the, the country or the city or the church or the family. But when we walk as Abba's children, we view authority as God's servant for good. We honor them from the heart and we experience the blessing that God's promised for honoring them accordingly. In terms of expressions of love, orphan-spirited hearts are guarded with expressions of love. Expressions of love are earned. They're very cautious with regard to them, and they give them rarely. But Abba's children are open with expressions of love, affectionate, and they give it before people earn it. In terms of God's presence, orphan-spirited people or maybe we could say orphan-spirited hearts experience God's presence conditionally. And they experience God's presence as distant. But Abba's children experience God's presence as constant and close. The dominant condition of an orphan-spirited person is slavery. The dominant condition of, an, of Abba's child is freedom. What does it feel like to follow Jesus? Well, it feels like a servant doing our duty, finding out what he wants us to do and doing it if you're an orphan spirit. It feels like sonship and friendship and joy and relationship when you're Abba's child. In terms of our vision, orphan spirited hearts feel they have to accomplish a lot and be recognized for it or there's no point. In terms of vision, Abba's children feel just so amazed that all I have to do is receive God's love and let it flow through me to others. What? What? It's almost like there's a gospel. In terms of the future, orphan-spirited people hope to be faithful now in order to avoid God's disapproval later. Abba's children are rooted in such a deep awareness of God's approval now that we anticipate our future being bright later. <sighs> that felt like a bath. <sighs> Seriously, that was like a bath for my soul. Just <sighs> Let's have the... Uh, Whoever's on the schedule to be on the prayer team this week, come forward. And stand across the front.
So the real question of the day is, where are, like, where are you? Like, where am I? There were moments in preparing these notes that I broke down and sobbed, realizing how thimble deep my heart is in what is available and how incredible this gospel is, this father is, this Jesus is, this spirit is. It wasn't me saying, I'm terrible, let's cry about it. It was me saying, oh, the beauty of God, how incredible. I want more. I want to learn to live so open to receiving this affection and this fathering, intimate, nurturing, hopeful, kind love of the Father that will make me that to others. So if that's you as well, uh, this would be a good place and these would be people that would be helpful for you to come and pray with after the benediction. Also, if you're graduating uh, from high school in just a bit, uh, please come up for prayer as well. We would love to pray with the graduates. And as usual, anyone needing physical healing, um, we would love to pray with you as well. And you don't have to come up for prayer. You can grab someone next to you, every single believer who's uh, got any ounce of authentic, you know, you've been a believer 12 seconds, you're already ready <laughs> to pray for people. So we're not saying that these guys at the front here are like more spiritual. They just have devoted this particular day to be available. So go ahead and stand for a benediction. Put a hand on your heart. Put your other hand out to receive and close your eyes. And repeat after me, Abba, I belong to you. I receive my place. I receive my place in your love. Jesus bought it. I didn't. Jesus' blood is enough. Jesus' resurrection is enough. This Holy Spirit that comes, comes because of Jesus. I inherit my place in this family. I didn't earn it. I'm not losing it. And I am learning to receive it. Open my heart to receive you more, to give you away more and to love you more. Amen.